through Galatians chapter 4. We're at verse 24. We'll try to work through verse, our way through verse 26 tonight. Um, but before we start, uh, you know, tonight is a, um, is a big night in the young home. It's my wife's birthday. Um, now, I will not tell you how old my wife is, um, uh, but she, she doesn't look like she's 67, now does she? Uh, oh, look, I mean, she's kind of hot, don't you think? Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, um, we um, are not celebrating tonight because of you. <clears throat> Uh, so, uh, but we do have plans and, uh, we do have reservations at a very nice restaurant, uh, backyard burger, uh, on Friday night. So we'll be celebrating her birthday on the 26th as opposed to the 24th, which is her birthday. Okay, guys. Um, uh, I thought somebody was bringing this thing over. Um, I need this tonight. Um, stay with me here for a second. <clears throat> Um, go, go back to verse 24, and, and maybe some of this will uh, refresh your memory. Um, now, this may be interpreted allegorically. You remember two weeks ago, we spent the, the, uh, the whole evening, uh, our whole time together, talking about what does it mean to interpret something allegorically, and we, I, I, I showed you one of the, what I thought was the better examples in the cities of refuge. You remember that and, and um, how that, that real city and that real event and that real provision was to be interpreted allegorically. Okay, so we did that. And then last week, uh, we come to this other clause uh, in the middle of 24. It says, these women are two covenants. By the way, we addressed the two covenants thing back in the spring. But, um, and then I said to you, um, what women? These, these women are two covenants. What women? And so then I spent all of last week uh, telling you, well, not all of it, but most of last week, telling you the story uh, that Paul is using here, the story of uh, Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, the, the Egyptian slave woman, Ishmael, Isaac, and all that business. And that's the story that's found in Genesis 16, 17, and chapter 21, which is the, the story that he is interpreting here allegorically. Um, an allegory, guys, I, I think you know, an allegory is a, is a poem, it's a story that has kind of a hidden meaning in it. Um, so that's what he's doing. He's taking that story, that historical event in the life of Israel, and he's interpreting it for us. He's telling us how you should read uh, Genesis 16 and 17 and, and 21. Now, these women are two covenants. Now, he goes on. Um, he doesn't stop with these two women. And uh, let, let me read you just uh, verse the, the last half of 24, 25, and 26. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. No. Uh, now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Now, did everybody profit thereby? <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, it 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 can be, um, and I and I think perhaps is uh, a tad confusing. And you read that on the surface of the thing, you say, well, you know, let's move on to something that I understand because I certainly didn't understand that. But now, guys, you've got to remember there's a story. And I told you this story last week. That's behind this. 
He's taking that event out of the life of Abraham, and he's interpreting it for us. But he doesn't stop in verse 24. He extends the metaphor, the allegory all the way into verse 25, 26, and really through the end of this chapter. You're going to get allusions to that. To that or he, There's more of the allegory to come. Um, uh, he says, uh, back to 24, one is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai. Um, in Arabia, she responds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. So what he does in verse 25 is that he introduces another feature of this whole allegory. Um, We've been talking about two women who had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Now he's going to introduce a couple more things. Primarily, he's going to introduce a present Jerusalem with a heavenly Jerusalem. And that's going to work into the allegory, and we'll try to make that clear. But guys, just look at, I mean, did you see the, the four-fold equation um, that he makes in verse 25? Look at this. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds, that, that's two. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Gang, if you don't know that you're reading something allegorically, it, it, that just makes absolutely no sense at all, okay? But we're going to try to sort some of this out. <clears throat> and before um, I make this valiant effort to explain all this to you, I thought it would help, I hope it will help, um, that I give you a scorecard. Look, I, I made this little chart. I made this little chart, which, which I... And guys... Um, I guess the most important thing that I'm going to do tonight is give you my little chart. And it's just going to bore you to tears. But, I mean, you're not going to get any of this until you can get some of this stuff, you know, kind of sorted out here. So I'm going to give you a chart. I mean, a a scorecard. Um, Because if you look at verse 25, uh, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Uh, Okay, what what is I'm supposed to mean about that? You know, I don't get it. All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to... I'm going to give you a chart, um, if I can. Um, okay, okay. Here's here's the chart, guys. Um, and this is going to be this is going to thrill your soul. I just know it. <clears throat> okay, um, that's a versus. And we got one, two, three, four, five. I should have gone all the way over. Okay. <clears throat> now, guys. Um, what I'm trying to do for you is show you the, the things that he's contrasting. Okay? Um, over on this side, you have Hagar. H- Hagar. Um, who is a slave woman, uh, which leads to slavery. All right? Now, King's X. Um, on the other side, or, or corresponding to that, you have Sarah. Sarah, uh, who is a free woman, um, which leads to freedom. Okay? All right. So when you're sorting through this text, you'll keep this in mind. It'll, it, it'll help, all right? Then you have another. You have Ishmael. it. We're just a poor, struggling church that cannot afford. <clears throat> um, you have Ishmael, 
um, over here, Ishmael, and then you have Isaac over here. Okay, so the, those things need to be compared and contrasted. And then you have um, flesh over here. Um, okay, those are red ones, though, but I don't... I, I, well, I, 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 I'm, I think I'm going to make it. And then you have promise over here. Okay, you remember in the story? You know, um, Abraham went and slept with Hagar and, and just followed the, the course of the flesh and created a baby. But then over here, you had Isaac, uh, who was born to a 100-year-old and a 90-year-old, uh, which was the fulfillment of a pure promise. Are you still with me? You're, you're going to attract. Right. Then you've got, then he introduces this other thing in verse 25. The other thing is the present-day Jerusalem versus a heavenly Jerusalem or a Jerusalem above. Okay, and then when we get to um, verse twenty nine, this will this will not come until verse twenty nine. You have the um, you have the persecuting, which we're going to spend some time on that um, later on, and the persecuted. Now this is all a part of this whole allegory. All right, there you go. Uh, now uh, everything should just become abundantly clear now that you have my handy dandy uh, I designed um, chart. Okay, now guys, um, <clears throat> let's, let's try to sort out some of this in verse 25. Um, gang, all the children that were born um, by flesh, symbolized with Hagar and, and, um, and Abraham, all those children in this line... Uh, uh, Paul says, are slaves. Gang, do you, do you see it in the text? Um, one is from Mount Sinai, children for slavery. Um, look at verse 25. For she is in slavery. So anyone who seeks to uh, establish a relationship by, to God based on flesh... Um, uh, in the line of Ishmael, okay, um, we'll use orange. Um, anybody, you know, in this line, all ends up slaves, slavery. All right, you got that? Now, um, uh, as for the allegory that's in, in Galatians 4, the present Jerusalem which is another part of that he's that he's just included with all of its law you know Jerusalem was the very center of uh, the law the very center of uh, of, of Judaism um, all of this priesthood stuff and all of the the ceremonies all of this according to the flesh um, all of this the, the present Jerusalem with all its law and all its priesthoods and all its ceremonies, all it does is produce slaves. Um, now, guys, here's the point. And this is a pretty profound thing. Um, 
law, when used as a means of establishing a relationship with God, produces nothing but slavery. It produces slaves. Slavery. Can I say that again? Anytime, guys, you seek to establish a relationship with God through um, human performance, through law, um, it's going to end up enslaving you. Um, You see, this over here, by the way, do you remember several months ago, many months ago, maybe a couple years ago, I asked this august body, I said, give me what you think is um, a synonym, the best synonym you can come up with for grace. A synonym for grace. And, And you gave me some good replies, as I recall. But I told you then that the one that I liked the most was this one. Freedom. And you see that's what's being contrasted here, guys. Um, For she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above, well, that's over here in this line. The Jerusalem above um, uh, is free and she is our mother. Gang, you're going to have to shift in that allegorical gear or you're not going to get any of this. Everything that is uh, over on this side of the the equation. Um, Oh, you're born of Hagar and uh, Abraham went and slept with a slave and he produces nothing but slavery and his name was Ishmael and it's all flesh and it's in this present Jerusalem that is the center of law. That's the allegory that's unfolding in front of you. As opposed to a child who was born to a woman who's 90 years old and a man who was 100 years old who was a free woman as compared to this slave over here. Um, uh, but this, this uh, 90-year-old woman gave birth to a, 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 her husband being 100 uh, who was a free woman, uh, gave birth to Isaac and it was the accomplishment of a promise and it all led to freedom. That, that's the allegory, guys. Very frankly, it's a piece of genius on the part of the Apostle Paul, in my mind. It's, it's, it's my problem that I can't explain it to you very well, but, but that's what he's doing. He's saying, there's two women, there's two sons, there's two mountains, and there's only two. There's not a third option, ladies and gentlemen. There is Christianity... And all else, like Islam and Judaism and Hinduism and all else, all the others, all the others are over here in this this line. Who, by the way, we're going to see this in verse 29, becomes the persecutors of this line. And we'll talk about that uh, uh, to some extent later on. But gang... The purpose of the book of Galatians is to communicate the gospel. Well, there it is. As opposed and contrasted to this stuff. Flesh, law, which produces slavery, 
um, as opposed to Christianity who, who sets men free. Gang, law or human performance or flesh, however you'd like to say it, uh, depended upon as a means by which I establish a relationship with God, it always produces slaves. Only grace. Only grace as taught in the Christian gospel produces free men. And guys, this is what I marvel when I watch redeemed, saved people, people who are genuinely a part of this line over here, revert to this stuff. They're called legalists. And they say, don't do that. Don't touch that. Don't drink that. People who have been set free, and one of the great earmarks of the believer is their freedom, and in the midst of having tasted freedom, for whatever their reasons, they revert to law. And they, uh, they insist that everybody uh, you know, that claims to be um, uh, Christians, they need to, uh, don't do that, don't do that, don't touch this, don't drink that. People who were supposed to be free. Now, guys, can that freedom that is ours as Christians be abused? Well, of course it can. Um, But we can never allow the abuse to become the standard. We can never allow the abuse to be the rule. That is, we can never allow the abuse to cause us to throw away our freedom. And so the legalist says... um, well, uh, you know, and, and by the way, let me, let me say this one more time. One of the earmarks of people over here is freedom. And then people say, uh, yeah, but that freedom, you know, can really produce some abuses. And, you know, if you, let, if you, tell, if you talk too much about this freedom stuff, you know, uh, people can really uh, take advantage of it. Yeah, they can. Paul addresses it twice in the book of Romans. But do we throw this away as one of the key features of grace because there is abusers of this? Oh, but Jimmy, um, uh, having a little law, it's safer. Um, I mean, it eliminates all that abuse. No, it doesn't. Gang, have you ever seen that the that the that more alcoholics statistically come from the do not territory than come from the other? Where more law is insisted upon and sought to be enforced, it creates more and deeper abuse. Guys. I am an arch opponent of the abuses of grace. 
I hope you know that. For instance, um, I, I, this is just a, one illustration that <laughs> uh, drunkenness. But I am also a passionate defender. of one of the features of being born as a son of the promise. Freedom. And I am not going to let abusers rob from me what is one of the essences of grace. And then call that safe. No, ladies and gentlemen, it is not safe. Do people abuse and take advantage? People who I think really don't, in the first place, even understand it. But do they abuse grace? Yes, they do. Um, But that abuse is not going to make me throw that away. Because one of the chief characteristics of having her as my mother and being in the line of Isaac and be a, a fulfillment of the promise is that I am free. And I'll never let a legalist take that away from me. And, absolute, and I am absolutely appalled when people who are a part of this revert to, to, to give this up so that they can go back and live under some more law and become slaves again. Gang, I want you to see that his comparison, his analogy, his allegory, whatever you want to call it, it continues even into verse 26. But the Jerusalem above, do you see? He's got the present Jerusalem uh, up in verse 25, and now he's got the Jerusalem above. Uh, there it is. You've got the present Jerusalem. He's, he's likening these things. My citizenship is not in this Jerusalem. My citizenship is in that Jerusalem. So you can fight all you want to about what your presidential candidate is. You go right ahead. I'm not going to enter that. Because my citizenship is over here. In a Jerusalem that is above. Um, gang, as I said, we've seen two women, two covenants, two sons, and now two Jerusalems. And every person in this room is either a part of this system or a part of this one. Actually, every, every person in the, on the face of the planet is. Um, gang, what you're, what you're getting in, in, as this, this allegory unfolds, you're finding that Sarah... Um, Sarah equals promise, uh, which is grace, which equals the Jerusalem above, which all leads to freedom. <laughs> I, I know that's a tad confusing in the text, but that's, that's what the, it's, a, it's genius on the part of the Apostle Paul, because what he's trying to do is compare and contrast the gospel versus a false one. And this one is a false one. It's all flesh. Um, gang, if I could, um, if I could distill for you 
this line, if I could distill it in just a few words, they would be these. This is supernaturally accomplished. This is accomplished by the flesh. And that's the fundamental distinction, guys. This line is not subject to law. It's not subject to some kind of man-made accomplishment like Ishmael was. By the way, Ishmael, way to go, Abraham. You're not a year old and you fathered a child. Way to go, by an Egyptian slave. And you produced a slave because you relied right on the flesh. This is supernaturally accomplished. Gang, the religion of Ishmael, which, who, by the way, is the founder of Islam, but I, hope you, I think you know that, the religion of Ishmael, the religion of Hagar, the religion of Sinai is a religion of nature. This is a religion of supernature, the supernatural. Um, this is a religion of what man can make apart from any intervention, any contribution, any, any uh, role that God has to play. I can do all of that without him. But this, this religion of Isaac, this is a religion of promise. It's a religion of grace. It's a religion of what God has done and does do by way of intervention, by giving life to the dead supernaturally through a divine promise that he made fulfilled in Christ. And that's his point. All of this, now Hagar is a mountain, and she's a city, and she's a this, and she's a slave. And it's all trying to contrast, ladies and gentlemen, that, that this, is, this is man-made. This one is anything but. That's why it's important for you to know how old Sarah was and how old Abraham was. Hundred-year-old men don't produce babies, and neither do 90-year-old wombs. But they did over here because God intervened supernaturally and brought from that dead womb life. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you are seated here tonight as a child of God, if you are a Christian here tonight, the same thing that, well, not the same thing, but a very similar thing that God did to bring Isaac into the world, he did to bring you into the world. <laughs> he intervened in the life of a dead man, a spiritually dead man, and he brought you to life. It's called the rebirth. It's called regeneration, ladies and gentlemen. Now, if that is what's true, 
I mean, and I passionately believe it is, but you'll have to make that call. If that is true, then tell me, who gets the glory over here? That would be God in his sovereign intervention to bring dead men to life. But now tell me this. Who gets the glory over here? And thus you see that there's only two religions, ladies and gentlemen. They got, uh, Islam's got its uh, five pillars and, and Buddhism has its eightfold path. And, but it's all this. It's always this. Just scrambled up and presented in a different way. Because no divine intervention whatsoever is needed in this stuff. But over here, God takes a dead man, spiritually dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, as Paul says in Ephesians 2. And then he goes on to say, and God made you alive. So why do I stand before you tonight as a, as a Christian? Because God made me alive. Why do you sit out there as, a, as somebody who, if you were to drop dead on your way home tonight, you'll end up in heaven? Why is that? Because God made you alive. You are the fulfillment of a promise. Well, the real fulfillment of the promise is Christ and what he did. But that, um, that, that, that begins when God brings your little soul to life and you finally see, maybe for the first time, wow, I need that fulfilled promise, God. This stuff only produces a room full of slaves that leads to all kinds of ugliness between us. You know, comparison, comparing ourselves with ourselves and hyper-judgmentalism and a bunch of Phariseeism because I wonder how, I'm, how well I'm doing as compared to you and... It's all ugly. Over here. People who understand what Paul is teaching in Galatians 4, they step back and they say, holy moly. Oh, what God has wrought to bring somebody as potentially damnable to bring us to life. And make us free. And besides, instead of being a slave, over here, he produces sons. That, ladies and gentlemen, is, um, I hope, a little bit of explanation of what Paul is trying to do in verses 24, 25, and 26. It'll continue a little bit further next week, and we'll do that next week. Let's quit. Our Father, I, I do thank you for the privilege that is mine to try uh, and illustrate a little, or explain a little bit of this. And, and I pray that maybe a little bit has been transferred to your people, at least the part where they enjoy and celebrate their freedom, but also that they enjoy and understand that the reason we are who we are is because of sovereign grace. Nothing else, nothing in addition, no contribution that I made when I did this or that or the other. It is grace, sovereign grace, that has brought a dead man to life. 
Why me? I do not know. Why these people in this room? I don't know that either. But you have seen fit to draw this ragtag bunch of folks to the place where they see the beauty of the Savior. We bless you, O God, and pray that you will get all the glory for us becoming who we are and what we will be for an eternity. Thank you for the sweet time that we can have together. Now, would you enhance that as we, as we celebrate our commonality in Christ over a bit of dessert? We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.